Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Hi, Tammy and Dr. Rob. I love you both. Thank you. Karen, too. D-Day was on my birthday, which was seven months ago. For context mm-hmm. sake, I am currently working on disclosure questions, and our first session with his CSAT is coming up on this Thursday. Our first joint session was with my CSAT about five months ago, and he was Oh, blame shifting, defensive, mean, manipulative, straight out of the gates, which makes me feel afraid of our upcoming session. Also, his birthday weekend is coming up this week. Sorry to ramble, but I guess I have two questions. Are there things I should prepare prepare for in terms of meeting the CSAT he has been lying to as I work through my disclosure questions, as well as making his birthday special without feeling overwhelmed by the memory of my D-Day on my birthday what he did to F it all up, ruin my life. Oh, that's a lot. Well, Tammy, I'm going to let you answer the birthday question. I think that's the, that's one that I, I'll toss to you and, and, uh, cause I really wanted to get to the other one, which is, um, Please. and it's really a simple answer. I would not, if I felt uncomfortable like you do, I wouldn't meet with this person's therapist alone. I would, and I don't mean this, that they're threatening or, but maybe well, let me say this. As a therapist who saw sex addicts for a very long time and then slowly over time saw partners, I didn't realize how much the addicts had been lying to me and especially about you. You know, well, my spouse is this and my spouse is that. And before you know it, I'm like, oh, they have an awful spouse. And it took years for me to realize in the work, oh, I haven't met the spouse. I didn't know what's really going on with them. So in any case, um, if you have a therapist, and I think you did, right? You, he mm-hmm. saw, right. Mm-hmm. They should both be there. Mm-hmm. You should have your therapist online, their therapist, you know, if it's a money thing, make sure it's both of your sessions that week. And this needs to be worked through with both of them there so that you have support and you have backup and he has support. And then you can say, I, you know, I don't like the way this has been going. And I feel, and I feel I'm worried that I'm getting it. It's going to get attacked when I go in there and you got to clear all this up. And I wouldn't take further steps forward alone because you don't know what this therapist has been told by your spouse or how you've been set up to be the bad guy. You just don't know. So I would make sure I had support too. And Tammy, you were kind of nodding your head and then you kind of- Oh, I was. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. I, w- I was thinking of the birthday and I, w- you know, because- Oh, that, yes. Like, yeah, no, because like, you know what? You know what birthday is really meaningful for me? My recovery birthday. That's the one I really like pay attention to and I don't make a big deal about it, you know, too much but but that's the one that's really meaningful for me my belly button birthday whatever I'm getting older so but to me it's like do you really really want to make his day all special about you know regardless of what he did to you on your birthday which is not insignificant but like are you in a place where you really want to celebrate things right now I you know to me I'd be kind of like it's going to be just another day and hopefully in next year we can do things different if he needs to go celebrate safely with you know his parents or somebody else you know maybe but what do you need to do my I guess here's what do you need to do to take care of you now it's not about his day what do you need to do to take care of you in that day you may need a spa day you may need to go to a betrayed mm-hmm. partner me you need to go take care of you if you need to eat a piece of cake you can have a piece of cake and it doesn't have to be his birthday cake so but that's my thought well I no, I support Tammy here. I mean, it's like, 
I think that especially so early, seven months, I'm amazed that you're asking this question because I would be asking, I think most partners would be asking like, how much poison should I put in that birthday cake, you know, at seven months? So I'm amazed that you're actually invested in wanting to. And I agree. I think that it's not tit for tat, like you, this is my birthday, so I'm gonna do this for you. What I would ask you is how do you, how do you feel? Do you want to celebrate him? Do you feel like you want to sit down together and have that moment? Do you want to buy a gift? It really is about how you feel. I mean, most of the time I love my partner and I want to do something for them, even when I'm mad at them. But this situation is different. And Tammy's right. This is a situation where you have to put yourself first. And you know what? Talking about resilience, you may have to tolerate your guilt. You may have to tolerate your sense of obligation because this isn't about what's best for him. Uh, this is at this moment about what brings you peace and helps you to feel okay. And it's not your job to make him have a happy birthday. Like Tommy said, he can go find some people who are in recovery or who are safe, family members, whatever, and go celebrate his birthday. Um, besides, you've already told us what you want. I just wanna say this, because the last sentence is, without feeling overwhelmed by the memory of what I had to find out, on his birthday when he fucking ruined all of my life. I think that kind of covers it. Um, I do want to say one more thing. A lot of you spouses, for whatever reason, I think I know why, will have sex with addicts after, finding, after you find out. Or maybe you found out we went back to the behavior and you have sex with us anyway, or you even want us in your beds. And I will say to all of you, you know, if you don't trust someone, why would you have sex with them? If you don't trust someone, why would you have them in your bed? And when you come down to that way of looking at it, um, I've had a lot of guys end up sleeping in the hallway. So I would say to you, you know, do you trust this? Would you want to celebrate someone that you don't trust? Someone who broke your heart and let you down? I don't think I'd be ready for that, but up to you. Or you can do a little birthday, like leave them a little note and that's it. Um, the only caveat yeah. would be if you have kids and the kids need to celebrate dad's birthday, that would be right. Th that would be the only thing that I would, you know, and then maybe you go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> right, right. For his birthday. Exactly. Can I tell you, Tammy, my feet are so warm right now because my dog decided to sit at my feet oh, and he's warming nice? them. Yeah. It's better than anything. Yes. No, it is. That's, yeah. That's okay, called. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Cold so what? next, next. Wait, is, what is that it's called? Like the th no, I was going to say that's called therapy because it's like, yeah, like it's oh. nurturing and it's like, it's grounding. It's really good stuff. So yeah, it's my though. dog is not underneath my desk right now, but he often is. And that's, you know, I say go to work and he comes and slides right underneath. It's great. So, yeah. So okay, thank next you for question. letting us do that, guys. Sadly, my essay PA husband has prostate cancer. He will have to go through the treatments to reduce his testosterone level to a minimal, probably to zero. Doctor says he that his lust desire will disappear for at least the period of the receiving treatments. In your opinion, do you think that he will still be able to have need to fantasize and objectify women? Thank you. That's a really interesting question. I don't know medically how that, you know, how that. Well, I kind of, that piece I know. I mean, I think I okay. can speak to that. So, um, first of all, the first thing I want to say is, um, and John, Dr. John Seeley taught me this, um, you know, if I said to you, where, where do, are your sexual organs? You know, most people would say their genitalia. And I would say your sexual organs are between your ears. And there are, there are a lot of studies on the sex offender community where they have a reduced, if not eliminated, someone's testosterone in order to keep them from harming a child. In other words, sometimes in people getting out of prison or on probation, they make a decision, do I want to stay in jail or do I want to go on an, on an anti-androgenerg 
anti-androgenary, I can't say that, I'm not even gonna right. try, um, on a, a, a drug that reduces testosterone. So will that make this person less likely to wanna, you know, maybe there's a better way of saying it. Um, I do think it's helpful, however, um, what continues to go on, what's happened with some of those people who were, uh, had testosterone reduced because of child issues is that they didn't stop fantasizing about it. They didn't stop thinking about it. Some of them continue to offend even though they weren't aroused, couldn't get offended, none of it because it was such a psychological thing. It wasn't just a sexual thing in that way. So um, I don't know about the need to fantasize and objectify, but I can tell you this. I have a really good friend, woman, who, and I don't know if I know about this, um, Tammy, um, who had gone through, I don't know if it was cancer, she had some like MS or something, and they gave her testosterone. They wanted to mm. increase her body's ability to fight in that particular way. And she told me, we were having a chat, and she said, you know what, since they put me testosterone, on testosterone, I know what you men are like now. She said, everybody who walks by, I'm looking at them, I'm checking them out. So yes, there is a biological thing that happens with testosterone. There's a reason why there are more male sex offenders, why men get in more trouble for aggression and violence. It's testosterone. So yes, his, some of this is going to go away, but that doesn't mean he isn't going to, he, he would stop wanting to act out or couldn't act out. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, but well, and, and it is challenging for the guys that, you know, are into porn and they're, it's constant fantasizing. They can have, you know, the, the recall on it, regardless, you know, like they don't even have to be looking at an image. It can, it's, it's rotating in their heads. So, yeah. So that's really challenging. So, okay. Next question. This one's a little challenging. Can you talk more about the polygraph? My husband just passed his, the polygraph last week. How much faith should I put in the past test? Well, now you're in trouble, Tammy. I know. <laughs> I know. That's so now you have to challenging. answer, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer after you. You got to take okay. this one. So, so uh, I, this is an area that interests me. I have done, you know, some research. I could do more research, but there is no protocol on a polygraph. There is no research that a, a polygraph is helpful or at what stage. So you mean in, in this work, you're not talking about in this work. Or, no, actually mm -hmm. in courts too. I actually, well, the court I, does not accept I, polygraphs. Right. And mm -hmm. I um, listen to tons of the, you know, podcasts on solved mysteries and unsolved mysteries and all of those. And so, so like it, it actually comes up a lot from that standpoint. And anyway, so the challenge is, um, like it was noted that it's basically similar to a coin toss. And I unfortunately know too many cases where things have happened where someone didn't pass that probably should have, but it was asked a little off and people have passed that shouldn't have passed. And so then you're basing all of your relationship on a polygraph that there isn't research, there isn't protocol there's no there's nothing the other thing that i learned recently um in the last couple of months was that some person and i need to go look up his name again but he's in the polygraph society and he said that they were making it unethical to ask the sweeping questions like have you you know oh, yeah. is this all truthful or whatever because they found that to be an unethical ask on a polygraph so that still happens all the time on polygraphs polygraphs have become commonplace because partners are demanding them, but that's like going to the doctor and saying, I need, I, you know, I, I saw I this need medication an on TV. Right. I right. need an antibiotic, even though it won't help, 
but I demand an antibiotic and doctors give me antibiotics. So, so like it really is. Um, and, and there are some therapists that actually use polygraphs and they've got the right person and, you know, and more power to you. But, but I hear, unfortunately of the cases and I'm like, for me, basing it on something that is that fraught with problems, you know, I, I wouldn't want to base my relationship results on that. So, so answer her question, how much faith should she put in her past test? He, he passed. Are you comfortable with it? If you are move forward, you know, that I right. mean, you know, it, if this was your it, measure. You got it. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. So, and I, I want to pile on with Tammy here in the sense that, um, I helped teach the CSATs for a very long time, and I know that training almost as well as Tammy does. And there is nothing in our training as uh, sex addiction professionals as uh, in that, uh, what do you call it, expertise uh, in that particular arena that tells us anything about polygraphs. Um, Pat Carnes didn't talk about it. There's nothing in the literature about it, in, in, at least in my world. And when I taught and when we were teaching or taught the information, they never really talk about polygraphs because it's not part of the work that is required to do with a sex addict. Now, I have, I, have, um, I have used polygraphs. And if you gave me a number, I would say out of 100 couples, I've used it twice. Um, because it's very selective and it's related to a particular set of circumstances. In other words, I will do a polygraph with someone who has um, lied, done disclosure three times, and every time they were lying, um, they went back into life after two treatments and they're still, in other words, when someone has, doesn't seem to have the capacity to be honest, and they've proved this a number of times, um, before I went back into that relationship, I might ask for that. But that means we've already been through the process a few times because the honest truth is it's more important I know the truth is absolutely essential, but I want to know, can this person begin to be honest with me? Can they find their way when I'm angry to telling me the truth? I'm more interested in building the relationship and figuring out if we can have an honest relationship than in proving that on the March 5th, you did this or you didn't do that. And I think that the partners who are demanding that are going down the wrong path. It's the same, you know, it's the same impulse to me as going through cell phone bills and going through every single thing you can ever find to make sure that you know every single everything. It, it might make you feel better. It might not. Um, most of the times when I experience partners doing investigation, it just leads to more investigation. And so the answer to your question, um, I agree with Tammy, put as much faith in it as you want, but do know the courts do not accept in almost, I don't think any state, uh, polygraphs. Um, my experience when I did them in outpatient, when I had a practice in outpatient as opposed to seeking integrity, um, I had a former FBI agent who had been with the FBI for 25 years as their polygrapher. That's who I had. But if you live, but I can't tell you how many Tammy and listserv, how many people say, oh, I'm in Omaha, you know, who's a good polygrapher? How did you find, what is their background? You know, we, again, we don't have any protocol, so it doesn't say they need to be a former CIA or FBI officer, but that's who I would bring in. If they're a local sheriff's deputy, you know, who's no longer in the sheriff's department, that may be who you get, but that isn't who I would put my marriage on. So part of it is who's chosen the second it is very selectively using it. Um, and I don't think that your spouses should in every situation get a polygraph because I think that doesn't serve you or the healing of the relationship. Um, yeah. So that's, that's that. Aren't you? I'm thinking they're probably, on. I shouldn't have even asked that question. So, okay. Right. So and he's I, probably thinking, oh my God, why did I even bother taking that thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but, it's but not you, a bad it, thing. It, it just no, you can't it, rest. Right. It's yeah. How, how useful is it? You he passed, and that gives you some hope. And I think so. It's really more. What is he doing? What is he doing to show you? Okay, disclosures. It you know a one day thing. You know what is he doing on a daily basis to show up that he's working on his recovery, that he's mm-hmm. trying to be different, that, you know, that he's doing things differently. That's, that's really what's more important to me is what is, what are his actions now? The polygraph. So, okay. And, and I want to have one more thing because we go off on this forever. I can get a polygraph tomorrow and act out tomorrow afternoon. So what has that really done for you? You know, except you know up to that point, but you don't, the only way you're going to know in an ongoing way is what you see me doing and how I'm interacting and how I'm handling my recovery. So, you know, you can get all the polygraphs you want, but you're not going to see a change in me until I really start working on myself. And that is the more important part. Um, anyway, that's, we, we beat okay. that one to death. I so. think so. I am a chem sex addict, six months over and married. I used to have two. thoughts. Woo-hoo. Yes, exclusively involving one specific person I had sexual experience with out of many. Today, I have sexual thoughts while showering that start thinking about my partner in them. But then later, I end up thinking about the other person. I had chem sex experiences uh, with. No, that's this... one sentence. I end yes, up thinking yes. about the other person. That well, I had yes, yes. Right. So it starts out with my partner and I end up with the other person. Okay. Um, is this showing an improvement or or I still objectifying my partner? Well, I want to speak to a a separate issue that may not being being addressed here, which is, um, and Tammy can probably affirm this better than me, um, fantasizing about my drug dealer isn't that different than fantasizing about the drugs. And so fantasizing about this person is not particularly, uh, it may not be about her or him. It may be about the experience of using drugs with them and the excitement around it and the connection. In other words, we can broaden what was you know, a drug experience in, into being about the person and what we did together. And so I would wonder if this is also about how fun it would be to go off with this person and do drugs. And especially with only six months sober, I have a little suspicion with drug addicts in my experience, because we run a program that in part sees drug and sex addicts, that this feels a little bit to me, and I would bet Tammy too, like I want to go out and use. And so, because, yeah, and by the way, what are you doing in the shower? (laughs) You know, do you go take a quick shower? Go ahead, Tammy, I'll leave that one. No, no, I was like, I was like, this would be a middle circle behavior. I would be going, what do I need to do? And if you need to call your sponsor before you get in the shower and call your sponsor afterwards, you know, I mean, so they now have phone speakers. Like I have one for paddle boarding, but I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time on my, um, on my shower speaker. And you know what, you could have Dr. Rob talking about sex, love and addiction on a podcast in the shower. It would would probably stop your, yeah, it'd probably stop your fantasizing about that. But yeah, to me, this is, this is highly dangerous. Yeah. You're still objectifying. You're great that you're six months. That is still so early in the process. I I can't like, yeah. Thank you for asking the question. You need to interrupt this cycle. So, you know, that would be my, and I would, if it were me, and I hope you have a sponsor in your drug program, I really would go to my sponsor and say, you know what, I'm a little worried and try it this way. I've been fantasizing about someone I used to use with. And I've been fantasizing sexually and romantic, whatever you want. I think that's a great thing to 
bring into the program and work on specifically, because you'll begin to see how it plays out in your head. Um, but I really don't think this is just about that person. And by the way, uh, I, I, this should be obvious, but the grass is always greener. Relationships are tough, relationships are difficult, relationships are challenging. That's also what makes them rewarding. But the affair is just so easy and so exciting and no responsibilities and I don't have to do the laundry. And you know, it's just so much easier to be in the experience of the idea of being with that person as opposed to really being with somebody, which is a whole lot more work. Um, and by the way, in the shower, I have to say, it sounds a lot, if I had to add a word, I'm masturbating to thoughts of my wife, but then I end up masturbating to thoughts of the, I, I'm not saying whether that's true or not, but I'm not tracking all my sexual thoughts in the shower. And so I would wonder how that plays out. And by the way, if you were masturbating to fantasies of this person, then you are reinforcing the excitement about being with them because you're literally having a pleasurable experience while you're thinking about them. And this is the person you did drugs with. So this is a big problem and I'm glad you're paying attention to it. Now you need to do something about it before you go out and use. Um, yes. Okay. Okay. Next question. Two years plus dealing with essay spouse dance between a self-created love addict, me since disclosure and a love avoidant is, is it true? I, betrayed spouse, must accept that things will be as they should be, lower my expectations on recovery and simply deal for as long as I can. And once I have reached my limit, talk next steps, enforce boundary X living outside the home during continued work to save marriage, to avoid vicious cycle, disappointment, sadness, et cetera, and stop cycle of fighting between us. Mm. Yes, supper's coming soon. Sorry, I just got a... Yeah. So um, there's a lot of stuff here. And can you, maybe we should walk through this together, Tammy. Maybe you could interpret and see if we can get some good questions out of this. Yeah. So two plus years of dealing with an essay spouse. So the dance between a self-created love addict, me since disclosure and a love avoidant. Like I, like I have a hard time believing you're a love addict. Um, so I, would you start there with a brief description of what a love addict is? Because because I hear often partners going, I'm a love addict. And I'm like, no, you love a person who's broken. But anyway, right. so love. Okay, so sex addiction is the pursuit of people's body parts and the pursuit of them for sex in exchange for feeling validated and special and important and wanted and a sense of control. Um, love addiction is just like graduate school for sex addicts. Instead of uh, objectifying everybody's body parts and everybody, I have chosen one person to pin all of my needs and wants onto. And then it doesn't even matter who they are. What matters is I have the fantasy that they will fill the emptiness inside of me. And I pursue them, pursue them and get involved with them. And then all of a sudden I realize who they are. And they're not the fantasy I had. They're a real person. And then um, I push them away because they're not what I needed or wanted. In other words, uh, sex addicts objectify body parts, love addicts objectify the idea of what this relationship is or what it could be, but they're not really looking at reality. Love addicts are just looking at what they need and can I fit this person in to what I need? Um, healthy people, just to put it on the scale, look at someone else and say, I wonder who they are. I wanna learn more about them. I wonder what they're into. Not can I just take whoever they are and make myself feel better with them. Uh, that's love addiction. So does that help? Yes. And so okay. then my point is, I suspect, and this is, you know, what I'm making up when I'm reading this is that you are a betrayed partner who loves somebody who's broken and can't show up, but you, you know, probably want to be very intimate with them at some times and completely avoided in others. Understandable, you know? Um, 
the ambivalent love. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Totally understand that. So let's skip to the part where it says, should I lower my expectations on recovery and simply deal as long as I can? And once I have reached my limit, talk next steps. Like that what does feels, that mean? Well, to me, that feels Lower like what expectations? About the person... relationship and that how this person's recovery is going to go and like what I should expect at two years. Like you should be, uh, like if that person is really doing the deal, you should be seeing that they are showing up. They're able to you know, be, have empathy. They're looking to communicate. Like that would be, if they're not, then they haven't, if they're still struggling with the slips and relapses and everything else and they're not gaining any traction, then they need more help than they're getting right now. And then looking at, I send I them to betrayed, us. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think betrayed partners should just settle and then go, okay, now it's a crisis. You're already, he's already, he or she is already out of the house. You know, um, what do you need for a healthy boundary for you? What do you need to see your two year SA spouse show up for in order to make that different? Like, what is the plan? What do you need to see to have? that person move back into the house you know that's a practical step and if that person isn't able to do that then what do you need to do because two years from now do you want to still be doing the same dance yeah i, I also want to note, note that this you're not living together and i think that there's a reason for that and what i'd be curious about and i can't answer this but you know i'm a therapist i throw stuff out there why did you choose to not live together what was going on that Really, you know, what I hear is to avoid vicious cycle, disappointment, sadness, et cetera. Has that changed since you're not living together? Do you still go through these cycles and dances of disappointment and sadness? Because then I don't think it's about living together. I think it's about the relationship. So, um, and I'll give you guys the best um, advice I can give you about relationships and staying together or not. You can go to therapy as a couple. This is not about sex, it's about relationship. You can go to therapy as a couple and you can improve your communication. You can become more empathic and listen better. You can be more respectful. You can work on your sex life, you know. But if but what you can't change is who you are. So and you can't change who you are together. So, you know, you kind of know who you are and you know you can improve you, change you, stop acting out, become a better person, but you're still you. We're all who we are. And if those two people simply have a terrible relationship or an unhappy relationship, it doesn't matter whether they're going to learn to communicate better, understand. They are two different people that simply don't get along. And so um, I, I just want to clarify what you can and cannot get out of therapy. You know, you can improve your relationship. You can make it work better. You can be better listeners. But who you are together, that will always be who you are together. And, you know, Tammy and I, uh, in our work, um, even though she's a thousand miles away, we will have agreements, disagreements, but I know who she is and I have a good sense of her and I think her me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.